Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, well, good morning, everyone. It is... uh... Great to be with you this morning and every Lord's Day here at WCC. Uh, Ryan, thank you for that update. Uh, We're glad that you're with us today, and our church just continues to pray. I'm trying to find where Ryan is. Where is Ryan? There he is. Our church continues just to pray for you and Emily and your kids and for your ministry there in Liberia. So again, thank you for sharing this morning. And David, thank you for stepping into the role of missions director of our church. I don't know if we've officially announced that yet, but David is our missions director, and God has gifted you in this area. Uh, Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Galatians. This will be the 10th sermon in this series, and we'll begin the penultimate chapter of this book today, chapter 5, and I don't usually use big words when I'm at the pulpit, but the word penultimate is a good AP music theory word, and I used to use that word a lot when I was teaching, so it just felt right to use it here today. It reminds me of my teaching days, I guess, so please bear with me when I say that we are in the penultimate chapter of Galatians today. We're going verse by verse through uh, this letter by the Apostle Paul as I'm asked to fill in uh, when needed in the preaching rotation, and I'm so thankful to preach God's Word whenever He gives me the opportunity to do so. So please open your Bibles now to chapter 5 of Galatians and follow along along with me either from your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles open, or from the screen as I read verses one through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever it is, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, you are holy. You are great. You are good. You are glorious. Thank you for forgiving our sins through the work of Jesus. And it's through his blood that 100% of our sins are forgiven. Those sins in the past those sins in the present, and those sins in the future. Lord, you acted in your eternal grace for us. You are both the messenger and the message of the gospel. As Paul says, your gospel is, a, is good news for us. It's a gospel of sheer grace. Father, help us to know you better and be known by you. Thank you for the truths that we find in this book of Galatians. Meet us here in this place now. Give me the words to say, to proclaim your word rightly. Use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so once again, Tim Keller's book, Galatians for You, has really helped me in my understanding uh, of this book of the New Testament. So I want to give credit where credit is due as we look at these verses together today. I hope you heard the passion of Paul through these words today. These words were given to him by the Holy Spirit. I hope I was able to convey that passion somewhat as I read it. I also think you may have heard some of the language and words and phrases here in these verses of Galatians today that Pastor Jeff has pointed out in his sermon series on Christianity and culture, language like we are to stand firm, or as Christians, our faith should be working through love, or that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. I hope those words sounded familiar to you. So let's begin now with verse 1 and just begin to dig into these verses one at a time. So verse 1 again, it says, for freedom... Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This verse is pretty much a summary of the past two chapters of this book, and it actually could be a good summary of the whole book of Galatians so far. So here's the summary of Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There are some great truths here. Paul tells us in verse 1 that we have freedom in Christ. Both the noun and the verb in that sentence are based on the word freedom. And as as Tim Keller points out, freedom, spiritual freedom, is both the means and the end of the Christian life. So in a very definitive way, Paul is saying to us that Christians have been set free 
from spiritual slavery. But the rest of verse 1 seems to also be a warning that despite its divine source, our freedom is fragile and can slip from our grasp. Paul tells us to stand firm and don't submit to spiritual slavery again. Now, please know that we're not talking about our salvation slipping away here. We, we can't lose our salvation because it's guaranteed by Christ holding us. Jesus says uh, in John 18, 9, you can see it there on the slide, of those whom you gave me, I have lost how many? Not one. Jesus will not lose even one of his own. And in Romans 8, Paul says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Once the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts, Christ holds us fast. He will not lose us. And we are given the promise that we will eventually be glorified and spend eternal life with him. Hold on to that promise, church. But Paul says here in verse 1 that we have to stand firm in our freedom or we can slip back again into slavery, the opposite of freedom. In Christ, we are freed from the power of sin. We are freed from the power of sin so that we can freely live holy lives in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christian freedom is not about having the freedom to do whatever we want. That's not what Paul is talking about here. It is about being free from the power of sin for the purpose of being a slave to righteousness. Believers in Christ need to stand firm in their Christian freedom. And to stand firm is is really a military word. It mixes together the ideas of keeping alert, being strong, resisting attack, and sticking together. And despite the fact that as believers, we already have been saved by Christ, we must be continually diligent to remember and rejoice in our salvation that comes by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. That should be a treasure to us. We need to find the joy in that every single day. We can't lose our salvation, but it appears that we can lose our spiritual freedom, according to what Paul is saying here. Another implication of this verse as we discussed in in my last sermon, when we were in chapter 4, it is that law-keeping religion, in other words, legalism, is really spiritual slavery. Paul exhorts the Galatians here in verse 1 to not submit again to a yoke of slavery. To a Jew at this time, the study and the practice of the whole law of Moses was referred to as coming under the yoke. But Christ and the early church saw the Judaizers as teachers of the law, that they were enslaving people with this yoke. 
The Galatians were in danger of going under this yoke again, as it says here in verse 1. They had been pagans who were under the slavery of idolatry, the basic principles of the world, as it says back in verse 9 of chapter 4. And here Paul infers this pretty radical claim again that pagan idolatry, worshiping idols, and working to keep the Mosaic law are basically the same thing. Trying to gain salvation by keeping the law is on equal footing to when these Galatians were idol worshipers. Paul is saying that these two things boil down to the same spiritual slavery. Under circumcision, in other words, under the law, those two words, circumcision and law, can be interchangeable here. They mean the same thing. Under the law, the Galatians will once again experience the anxiety, the guilt, and the burden life they knew before as pagans. They will never be sure that they are following the law good enough. They will be under the yoke. All right, that brings us to verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, in other words, if you accept the law as your means of salvation, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Ultimately, the Galatians face an either-or decision. They are at a crossroads that, that Paul is trying to get them through. Will they make Christ their treasure, in whom they find their forgiveness and fulfillment, or will they look to law-keeping, to circumcision for that? The teaching of the Judaizers was this, unless you are circumcised, unless you keep the law, you are not truly saved. They taught that faith alone is not enough. But Paul challenges that and said, not so fast, my friends. To the contrary, if you adopt this teaching of having to keep the law in order to be saved, then you cannot be saved. Christ will be of no advantage to you. Here we see Paul repeating again the same basic message he's been saying all along in this book, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This won't be of any advantage to you. Salvation by works is a different gospel. And when scripture repeats itself about something, like it does here in Galatians, it's, it's for a purpose because we need to continue to listen and go on listening, just like we need to continually hear the gospel message even after we're saved. We need to hear it often. I, I, I share a story with the new members class from an article that I read where a, a pastor was approached by a church member, and this church member asked him, why do you keep reminding us of the gospel week after week in your sermons? And the pastor responded, because we forget the gospel week after week. And that's so true. Paul wants the Galatians to remember the gospel and that you can't add to Christ without subtracting Christ. He is either all their value or he is without value. 
if following the Mosaic law becomes part of their system of salvation, then it's their only system. All right, let's move on to verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If obeying the Mosaic law becomes your system of salvation, then you are required to obey all of it, the whole law, which we have seen is impossible for us. No one can obey it perfectly and fully. We need a Savior. Justification, being made right with God by the law, is really self-salvation. It's to be alienated from Christ. Moving on to verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. We can't hold on to grace if we're living by works. And Paul is saying that in the true gospel of grace, we are freed from the obligation to obey the whole law in order to be justified by God. We are saved by grace and not by works. And then the gospel of grace frees us from both the guilt and the slavery of sin. Does verse 4 mean that, that we can lose God's grace when it says you have fallen away from grace? That seems to imply someone had grace, then they fell away from it. Well, according to Paul, if you believe in a different gospel, if you believe you are saved by works, that form of self-salvation that we mentioned, being justified by the law, then it can appear that at least it's a possibility. Paul seems to be saying if you turn to doing works as your means of salvation, then you are severed from Christ. Because through Christ's work on the cross, everything was done for us. Jesus said it from the cross, it is finished. And when something is finished, you don't need to add something to finish it again. And as true believers of God's grace, Christians, really, they base their whole lives on the assurance and certainty of their present and future acceptance with God. Assurance of our salvation is not possible if we think we must earn it or even maintain our salvation by our efforts. If we keep ourselves saved by good living, how could we ever be sure we were being good enough to retain God's favor? Yet the Bible often says that we Christians can know that we are saved beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do you believe that you can be assured of your salvation? Well, John 5.24 says this. I think we, there it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's a present tense, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And notice that it's believing, it is faith that is mentioned here in John 5, 24, and not works. Jesus didn't say, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, believes, and then does good works will have eternal life. No, only if we believe, only if we have faith in the true gospel of grace can we be assured that we won't fall away. We can trust in God's word. I also love the way our WCC Statement of Faith puts it. This is item number 15 of our Statement of Faith about perseverance. And our Statement of Faith, by the way, can be found on our WCC website. It's a wonderful resource for the truths of God's Word. But Statement 15 says this, All who are chosen, called, regenerated, and justified shall persevere in faith and never finally fall away. Perseverance is not a human accomplishment, but a work of God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who creates, sustains, and nourishes a living, growing, transforming, and enduring faith in all true believers. If we believe the true gospel of grace, we can have assurance of our salvation. A wonderful truth of scripture is that we didn't earn our salvation by our behavior, and so we can't unearn it by our behavior. Let's look on now to verse 5 of Galatians here. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. The Judaizers in Galatia were probably teaching a kind of perfectionism, They were saying that by strictly adhering to the Mosaic law, you can be perfected in your own righteousness right now in this life. But Paul says there will be no perfection in this life. Our full and perfect righteousness lies in the future. It is our hope. It's not our possession. He also says instead of working for righteousness an effort which is doomed to failure, he encourages the Galatians to simply wait for it, to wait for righteousness. We know it's coming, it's on its way, so we can wait eagerly rather than anxiously. There's a great comfort in this word wait. Just the presence of a struggle with sin in this life is not a sign that we're lost. Perfection is not the test of our spiritual life. We will never be perfectly righteous in this life. Now, we should never be content with sin, but for here on earth, there is a battle and a struggle and then failure and confession and forgiveness and relief and joy and power and then failure again and confession again and forgiveness and eventually a deeper love of Christ. And so it goes until the day when the work which he began in us by his grace will be complete. We will wait for it. Then our righteousness will be perfected. That's a great comfort. And if God is speaking to you today, if God is calling you to himself, that can be your comfort as well. All right, going on to verse 6, Paul makes another one of his challenging statements here. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision 
counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Circumcision, remember I said, represents the religious laws, and here uncircumcision seems to represent paganism or immorality. So you can say neither moral works nor moral failures count for anything, period. Circumcision and uncircumcision don't count for anything because the only thing that counts is our faith expressing itself through love. In the gospel, we see that Christ has died for us and valued us not for what we bring to him. We're of no profit to him. Our moral works or our moral failures don't count for anything toward our salvation. Now we can have the freedom to serve God and love God just for who he is without worrying if we have done enough to earn it. Loving the one true and almighty God of the universe. There is no other. I'm looking forward next month. Uh, Harlan's allowing me to teach uh, a brief Sunday school series on the attributes of God, talking about who God is and what his characteristics are. We worship a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who reveals himself in his word. All right, moving on now to verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul says here that the Galatians had been running a good race, but now as they listen to these false teachers, these Judaizers, they are being kept from obeying the truth. We can almost feel Paul's urgency here towards the Galatians. Someone has hindered these fellow believers from obeying the truth. Christians do have to obey the truth, and there was a gospel motivation for obeying the truth that these Galatians used to have. They were running well, but now it's diminishing. The gospel tells us that God is so holy that nothing short of complete payment for sins and the perfect righteousness of Christ can satisfy him. No mosaic laws or rituals can do that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, talking about Jesus here, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When God looks at us after the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, he only sees the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness, but Christ's. That's what Jesus' work on the cross did for us. No wonder the gospel is called the good news. Now we, we are still sinners and we are not perfected in our own righteousness yet. That will come. We will eagerly wait for that. That is the hope of righteousness that we have. And I pray this will be the day of salvation for someone here today for God to look down and see Christ's righteousness in you. All right, verse 8. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Paul tries countering what these false teachers are telling the Galatians by pointing out that God, the one who calls you, would never seek 
to persuade his people not to obey the truth of the gospel. There's no compromise here. It's either circumcision, the law, which is self-salvation, or it is what Jesus did on the cross, Christ's salvation. Paul is clearly teaching that our salvation comes by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. The, the true truth of the gospel. Verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. The Bible mentions leaven or yeast quite often. This fact is true. A little leaven does leaven the whole mass of dough. And so in the case of this issue within the Galatian churches, these Judaizers may be few in number, but they will soon ruin the whole church. A very real possibility And so Paul is warning them here in this verse. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 together. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Verse 10 is a great reminder that these are true and real and hard issues for these early churches. Salvation by faith or salvation by works. That's the issue here in the churches of Galatia. And this verse says to those that are troubling you, those that are telling lies that works are needed in order to be saved, There are eternal consequences for that. There's a penalty to be paid. And that should make the Judaizers pause somewhat. Now, verse 11 implies that some of the Judaizers must have been saying that Paul was also preaching that you need to be circumcised to be saved. But but that that was false. That was just fake news of that time and probably just rumors being spread to try to impact Paul's credibility. And Paul answers these lies by saying in verse 11, okay, if I am preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And that's a great point, Paul. He is the one being persecuted by those who want to trust in their own performance for salvation. And and I was thinking about this week, probably all true gospel ministers will eventually feel that type of persecution at some point. So please continue to pray for your elders and your deacons here at WCC, for our missionaries, for Ryan. We all need your prayers on a regular basis. And Paul goes on to say that if he was preaching circumcision, the offense of the cross would be removed. In other words, the necessity of Christ's sacrifice would be taken away. And based on the words of Paul in all of Scripture, we know that he would never say that. All right, moving on to verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You know, I personally love teaching verse by verse like I'm doing today because in teaching 
verse by verse or what they call expository preaching. You're forced to cover every verse and all of the issues. The whole counsel of God will be preached, but then you get to a verse like this one. And I said to myself, Lord, should I really try to explain this verse? But I'm going to try. I think Paul's point here is that he wishes these false teachers who are so forceful in pushing circumcision, the law on believers, and spreading false rumors about him to diminish the work of Christ would just go all the way and just not stop at circumcision, but castrate or emasculate themselves. As John Stott argues, this verse is a wish not of a thirst for revenge, but deep love for the people of God. I venture to say that if we were as concerned for God's church and God's word as Paul was, we too would wish that false teachers might cease, end quote. Paul's sentiment in this verse is just a good reminder that this matters. Your thoughts about God and his saving work through Jesus by faith alone matters. Recognizing that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone matters. And after this emotionally charged verse, Paul finishes this section by warning us not to abuse gospel freedom in verses 13 through 15, which are our final verses for today. 13 through 15 say this, For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know, we've seen through these verses today that it is possible to lose our freedom in Christ by slipping back into legalism or works righteousness again. This is one of the main points of Paul's letter. To fall back into rule keeping means that we lose our freedom from the power and guilt of sin. But the opposite end of the spectrum of that, to fall back into permissiveness, a sort of anything goes mentality, means that we abuse our freedom. Paul knows that the word freedom can be misleading to many people. He knows that when he speaks of being free from the law, some people immediately think he means that that we are now free to determine our own standards of behavior and do whatever makes us feel good. It's all about me. Sounds like Pastor Jeff's sermon on Christianity and culture again, doesn't it? So he says in no uncertain terms that the gospel does not free you to sin. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Love comes from gospel faith and hope and overflows into loving and serving our neighbors rather than using them to serve ourselves. And loving our neighbor is the entire law summed up in a single command, as verse 14 says. There were divisions forming in these churches in Galatia. 
due to false teaching. And nothing good could come of that. It would end up in the mutual destruction of both the Judaizers and the Gentile converts. But but using Paul's language here, the gospel devours the very motivation we have for sin. It completely saps our very need and reason to live any way we want. Anyone who insists that the gospel encourages us to sin has simply not understood it yet, nor begun to feel its power. If we truly understand the freedom that we have in the gospel, we will also see who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Our freedom in Christ makes our conscience free and joyful. We have joy. We're unafraid of God's wrath to come because we know that Christ holds us. And because of that, God will be a merciful and gracious Father towards us for the sake of Christ. It motivates us to obey the law just out of love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us to grow to love you more. Help us as a church and as individuals to point people to Jesus. Help us to be a church here at WC that that stays true to your word. We are saved only by your grace. May this be the day of salvation for someone here. I pray for that, Lord. Meet us in a special way now as we come to your table. You are mighty and glorious and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.